All right. What is up, NFT world? What is up, Web3? It's your man, Jordan Reigns, at 50 Shades of Drunk. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm joined today by one of my friends in the NFT and Web3 world, Payment Cash. How are you doing today, Cash? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me, my brother. Oh, this is fun. I'm really excited to, you know, sit down with you in a somewhat formal setting. I don't want to call it too formal because we're both wearing tank tops now. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, <laughs> this is really relaxed. I'm at home. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, keep the Web3 vibes pretty chill. Uh, but we're going to have a general chat today. Um, if it's your first time listening to this podcast, you know, the last show I did was about Quirklings. It's been probably over a month. Going through a slight rebrand on the podcast. Going to be making it a little bit more Web3 and NFT overall macro and a little less in the certain projects that i might be in uh i think web3 is it's expanding it's changing it's growing i don't want to pigeonhole myself down too much so cash and i are just going to talk about kind of our experiences in the space some of our thoughts comments you know things we like don't like you know and these aren't necessarily right or wrong they're just the opinions of two guys who are in a lot of nft projects um so and you know in any project we bring up we probably we may hold but we're not a team member of any project. I'm not anyway. I don't know if Cash is or not. We don't consult for anybody. We're just a couple of guys that, you know, we do what we do. So, um, Cash, tell everybody a little bit about yourself that may not know. Who you are, what you do, why we should listen to you. <laughs> That's a tough one. The last part, I don't think anyone should listen to me. Because um, really, I don't think I'm really that experienced in NFT. Not just me. I think no one is really experienced, per se, in NFT because it's so new. Um, but uh, my name is Payment Cash. Um, I, I guess you can say that I was, I was, you want to know my nationality or you want to know my work background? Which one would you be? Whatever, man. I mean, just anything about you, you know, I mean, just tell everybody anything you want. Your NFT background, your business background, I mean, a little bit about your life, where you live now. Uh, like I said, anything. I mean, anything to give people a little bit of a compass to work with. Yeah, so um, I've lived in five different countries. I've lived in Germany, uh, UK, US, Iran, and US. Um, I've traveled to 54 different countries as well. Um, I also had you know, offices in Hong Kong, Dubai, Shanghai, Iran, Tehran, I guess, and US as well. Mostly focused, like when I was overseas, on you know, import-export, um, anything from anti-gargles for oil drums to API pipes, to um, exchanges, to real estate in Dubai, where, you know, I think everyone knows Dubai now, but when we were there, there was still desert, no freehold properties was there. So I was kind of early in that space as well. And this is exactly what we do. I reside in Florida, as we speak, and um, I'm also more into real estate here in Florida. Um, and, you know, earlier this year, I've been wanting to get into NFTs for a while. And I've been interested because I think these opportunity only happens like 20, every 20, 30 years, just like the dot coms. And although I was, you know, 18, 19, when internet came, I wasn't bright enough to get into it and, you know, learn coding and all that stuff. I, you know, I came into internet when there was, you know, MS DOS. So I had the chance to um, grab that, um, but I unfortunately was not smart enough to do so. So when I heard about Web3 and the opportunities that it brought, it brought with it, I was really interested to be into the industry in the beginning and, you know, just go with the punches and learn as I go. Um, so I started getting to NFTs in February. Um, I think it was Super Bowl Eve this year, February 13th. Um, I had friends that I came, uh, we were watching the game and I noticed that they were in NFT. So they told me about MetaMask, wallets, and 
how it all works and you know, all seed phrases. I had no idea. So I'm kind of, I was kind of a student when I got in and um, just asked about some projects that I invested in, which, you know, of course, um, I got in at Ethereum at 4,400. So, yeah. <laughs> so no matter if I would have bought doodles or mutants or apes or whatever, because I, I poured in about like above quarter million dollars into NFT since February. And I don't think right now the value of them would be like thirty, forty thousand dollars, and that's even if you bought doodles. So I don't think any project that you would have invested in in February you could be here and say, hey, you know, I'm on the profit side. But um, what I know, what what intrigued me about Web three mostly that it really got me into it very passionately. I saw something that I think most people miss about NFTs, and I think. It's an opportunity that your PFT, your PFP, right, is a brand. So at the end of the day, I think you can actually use these platforms to build relationships with people that you never had a chance to. Like I would never have a chance to meet you or any people like yourself and all the smart people in the space. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity that if you, I think it's a great filtration system, actually. Like, for example, like I'm 45 years old. And if I want to go out and meet a new friend and make a new friend right now, it's really hard. Like I can't really become close to anybody. But with NFTs, because you're in the community base, because usually like communities are building the projects, you build relationships with people and it, you, you can actually filter them out through the, you know, the way they handle themselves, the way they tweet, the way they, are they trustful with money? Can you just do trust trades with them? So you have this filtration system in NFTs that you can kind of, like you don't know what they look like. So it doesn't really make a difference. It takes all that away, which I think is fa fascinating that you don't have a perception of someone that needs to look a certain way to be successful, unsuccessful, right? You just fall in love with the person for what they are and the way they handle themselves. So I think that is one thing that has intrigued me in NFTs. And that's why I put a lot of time um, into them and holding spaces and trying to meet and network as much as I can, because I think there's going to be opportunities down the line for myself um, that is going to be like that is going to be presented the way that I'm, you know, kind of handling myself in the space now. I think there's going to be companies that tomorrow that want to come in. They're going to need community managers. They're going to need people with repeatable backgrounds and stuff like that. And that I think this work that we put in today is going to pay off down the road by being kind of like hired, but maybe by those companies or maybe as an advisor, consultant, whatever name you want to put on there. So I see the space more of that, although I'm not a big DGEN person, like I don't flip um, projects and stuff. I like to build. Um, that's one of the things that I loved about investing in, in certain projects that I'm in, um, that I could be part of the growth and I could say, hey, you know, I, I was helpful in this brand becoming what they are. And that is something that is really interesting to me. Awesome. And, you know, what you said there, we have we have a couple of things. I'm going to paired off a couple of things you said there. One about the looking at the PFP and kind of getting to know somebody without getting to know somebody. You know, right. I put it as I wrote down core beliefs in a project. A lot of projects have what uh, an ethos or a core belief system that if people buy in, you can kind of stay okay. Like if they bought this project, they're this type of person. Um, so like you said, as a filtration system, if you're in the right. same project with somebody you say, okay, we at least have something somewhere in our core values that brought us here. And Correct. then maybe, like you said, you can filter out who truly is there with the, the same values and who isn't, but it's a good 
call, I guess, a lead as to like, okay, maybe this person, somebody I should uh, get to know. So I think that what you said there is, uh, that is a huge utility to the overall space. And it is true because there's a couple of people that I don't think I would ever have ever been able to speak with or interact with, except for the various PFPs that I've had at different times, uh, guys that have DM me and trust me and ask for my advice because I don't necessarily, because I don't speak one direction. You know, I think the information's a two way street. I don't, I mean, if you just say everything's positive, that doesn't make any sense. You know, things go up right. and down. So I, I'm very, you know, my timeline, if you follow me, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people block me. I know a lot of people don't like to hear what I have to say, but it's because I'm not, you know, I'm not scared to speak what I perceive as the truth. I'm also not holding on to whatever I say so tightly that it matters. Like if someone proves me wrong, I have no problem tweeting and being like, yeah, that tweet seven tweets ago was really dumb. You know what I mean? Like, that's okay with me because I think as people, we are progressing constantly. And I think wanting and asking people to just always be a certain type of way is can be disingenuous. So I try to just, I try to present myself as myself, no matter what my PFP is. Um, but I, I thought that was a really interesting point that you brought up. And it's true because a lot of people in certain projects, you will find uh, a bond with them that even if you left that project, you know that that person would be somebody yes. you, could, you could go back to and speak on different stuff, maybe a different project, you know, Hey, have you checked this out? And, you know, because you know that you have similar core beliefs, you're going to get information from them or commentary from them that is going to be different than yours because they're a different person, but it's going to be somewhat reflective of who you are. So I love that comment there about how the PFPs and NFT projects kind of give you a way to filter people. You know, when you're on Twitter, it's just a pic. You could have a picture of a leaf, you know, and this guy's got 70,000 followers. I don't know anything about him. You know, but if he's got a picture of a killer bear and he's got 70,000 followers, for example, now I know a little bit of something about this person. Not a lot, but I know I have a starting point, you know, OK, like I know who he associates with. OK, a lot of us are who we associate with. So, you know, those like you said, those are good filter systems. So I think that is one of the value props of NFTs in the long run. I think we're going to see um, end up being, you know, it's, it's not a dollar amount. But it still is an equitable thing to be a part of X, Y, or Z community because it is a, it's almost like a resume or a slight reflection on your character. So I loved I loved what you said there. Yeah. Another thing you said that I wanted to touch on was the investors part of investors versus consumers. I, I think we're all buyers, you know, when it comes to the NFT space to join a project. I haven't people categorized as traders. You know, people are just coming in and out, making small flips and stacking ETH because they're more of the crypto people. They're not really about the community and building. I have the builders and influencers who I think those are the people that really add value to projects. And those are the people that build platforms for the project to continue to grow, meet new people and retain people. It gives you something like a, you know, it's like a, a rock in the ocean, you know, um, like, yeah. this is where we can all hang out, you know, all the seagulls, you know, and the tides go down, where's our rock, you know, let's all go hang out here. So those are spaces. Those are, you know, threads, those are any sort of, you know, those are individuals who have chosen to make themselves platforms for a project. Uh, but then there's also the investors. These are the people that are really, um, in my mind, giving the alpha on what this project can be. You know, when you see a big uh, somebody with a lot of money come into a project and they're not flippers or traders, that can be a, a bullish sign on, OK, this person's going to sit in this project for a while. So when I look at NFT buyers, I, I categorize them in the three people. I love that you said you're a builder, influencer, because you are, the spaces you run, the cross-community stuff. That's another thing I love about you is you're not 
You're not, um, you know, you're, you're, what is the word I'm looking for here? I'm not a maxi. You're not a maxi. You're, you're a little agnostic. You're NFT agnostic. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not against any NFT. I'm not preaching one NFT or another. It's not like the Christian church. You know, you're not like, I'm a Southern Baptist. Well, I'm a Methodist. You're like, well, I'm just an NFT guy. I'm just a Jesus lover. You know what yeah. I mean? So to bring it back to Christianity there for a second. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, analogies are good for people, you know, in my mind, because some, you know, NFTs, you, you have to think about what you're looking at. You have to categorize things. And when new things exist, they have to be categorized sometimes for you. So I uh, appreciate the background you gave there um, and the comments you offered there. Um, to move on to the next bit of this conversation, I think we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what founders owe projects um, versus what pro versus what the consumers of the projects may owe the project. And then you also said something about being Web3 native, um, or you didn't say that exactly, but by being involved in Web3, whether you're making money or not, it's equitable because you're becoming Web3 native. Uh, maybe you can't do write a contract, but you know guys that can write a contract. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe you don't have the exact connection somebody wants or needs, you know, if somebody were to reach out to you, but because you're here, you know who the right people to ask would be. So I, th being Web3 native, even in a bear market, just hanging around, being around such a, uh, such a net positive, you know, plus EV move, Overall, I think for people that are maybe feeling down on their bags, just, you know, look at it a little bit more like that. You're building and honing a skill that less than 1% of people have in a world that less than probably 1% of people really exist in. But if you really believe, we know that this is just a new iteration or evolution of what the Internet is. Uh, so it's definitely going to be equitable to stick around. I know there's a lot of talk about what, you know, connecting Web 2 and Web 3. Um and, you know, Web3 is just, you know, it's it's learning the, the platforms and the, the people that are going to be the movers and shakers, kind of like Web2, you know, who are the people there? And it's it's a new opportunity to become that next person, that Gary V of Web3. Although he, you know, he was Gary V of Web2. He's trying to be Gary V of Web3, but maybe, you know, maybe Cash will be the, the real Gary V of Web3. We'll see. We'll see. But um, circling back to founders, yeah. what do you think a founder owes a project as far as a timeline? And as far as a, a roadmap um, and when certain things happen and occur, what are your thoughts about bringing new things to the table? Um, I'm looking at a thread here, which I'm going to pull up and we don't have, I know, hopefully it doesn't distract you from what you're going to say, but um, just a guy was taught. I saw this thread the other day about kind of how the roadmap NFTs are, maybe on the way out because they're not adapting properly. But I'm, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on founders, roadmaps, and then ad adapting to things as they come and go in the space? Um, personally, I think founders' responsibility when they launch a project right now, as we have seen that, you know, everyone is trying to copy Borde Bianco, right? Because they were the successful. And I think that's the biggest mistake because you're not Borde Bianco, right? And the one thing that they did correctly, and the reason I'm bringing them up because it's a good example to kind of, hold on one second, please. No, no worries. Take your time. I would. I just wanted to close the door because there was some noise in the background. Um, yeah. So the thing was like this, um, you know, everyone tries to put them as an example, but if you look at them, really, they were, one of the good things about them, they were four founders, 
right? So you have four different brains working and you have at the same time, four different avenues that these people can tackle at the same time, whether it's marketing, whether it's sponsorship, whether it's design, whether it's art, whether it's like future plan, metaverse, et cetera, like that, right? The, the, the founders that we have, I don't think they have per se responsibility towards the community members, but I think they owe the holders transparency. And I think that is one of the biggest issues in this space is that they're not transparent. And it, when they say roadmap, you don't really know where you're going to be in three months because NFTs are such a fast paced moving space. It's not like a web two that you have two years, three years to build in a background and then come, you know, give your product to the consumer kind of thing, right? NFT, you're using community funding to actually try to implement your roadmap. And then they come and are not transparent with what they're doing with the money. Um, have they hired any staff? And I think that's what they owe to the community members because it, it's all the community investors want. Like if you think of stocks per se, every three months there's an earnings report, right? So every three months there's an update of where the company's at, where they want to be, and their stock price is depending on what? Future earnings. Like the example that you said in regards to a big person coming and investing in a company, it's good for the project because that person is a, is, is a successful person per se, like Dingling or, you know, like, or Pransky, right? When they come and buy a project, there's a lot of followers and wallets that come and buy the same project because they believe that they know what they're doing because they've been successful at what they're doing, correct? So it's like, you know, the same with Web2, if you say, you know, like, um, Call Icon has shorted this project, right? Everyone is like, what does he know that no one else knows, right? So it's the same kind of concept that they try to do. Um, and if you want to do that, you have to understand that when a big holder comes and puts a lot of ease into a project, they have seen something that they see their value, their money is going to make money for them in the next three or six months, right? So that's why a lot of people follow them because they're like, they have done the research for us. If I follow his wallet, then I can have the same returns as they do, right? And from the investor, from the community side, the problem is most of the people that are investors in this space are not business-minded oriented people. They really don't know what they want, right? They always, they're, they're always onto the next project. If you're a flipper and you really know that you're a flipper, it's a different story. But if you come and invest in a project, like for example, yourself or myself, we're not flippers. We're, we buy and we hold and we try to build with the founders that project because we believe in it. And we put sweat equity in there. We put free labor in there. Like we onboard people through spaces. All that money goes back to where? The company it doesn't come to me, right? The only way it will come back to me is if the price of the floor goes up and then maybe I can sell one or two and take some profits out. But if the, if the founder's roadmap, per se, doesn't go as planned, only the community members are going to get you know, left holding the bag. The founder is already a millionaire, right? So that's where the problem is. So I think the future of NFTs is going to be in a way that if I'm going to launch an NFT project, just like if I want to open up a restaurant. So if, I'm going to give you an example of this because I think it's very relatable. Say I want to open up a restaurant today, right? So what I do is I go look at the store and find like where the food traffic is, for example, right? And then my finances has to be in order in a way that if I don't make any money, like extra money, just my cost, if I can cover my cost for the next six months or a year, 
I should have that money in the bank. Just because in case the customer doesn't come, just because if they don't like the food, I have to change my chef. There's a lot of things that comes with that business that I have to pre-plan these business decisions, right? And if I want to do the same way to be successful, I have to have all these organized. With a lot of NFT projects, they have an idea and they want to implement that idea using the community funding, right? And then when, when community members like us see, listen, you told us you were going to be a brand. So how is it that you suddenly change your idea or we don't see any implementation, implementation of those actions that's needed? Like if you want to be a brand, what do you do? You spend 80%, 90% of your money on marketing. You don't even have the product. Like if you look at the most of the branding per se, they want to get the name familiar in the market. Just yep. the brand name. They're not worried about the product. Yep. They, they have time. They can say, hey, you know, if you order today, we'll give it to you in six months. What they're worried about is getting the name out there. Get the name familiar with the companies, right? And if mm -hmm. you want to connect Web3 and Web2, you definitely need Web2 because Web2 has the data. Web2 has the information, has the age group that you're trying to attack. You have to get the information from Web2. There's no way that... You can say, well, we're only a Web3 company. Bullshit, because your customers are going to come from Web2. So you have to actually allocate a marketing strategy of what target audience are you trying to get. And if, with that, it, you need data. Data is Web2. Data is not Web3. So there's no, do you, there's no way that any Web3 can make it without Web2 data. Yep. So I think the future is going to be like that. If, if an NFT project wants to be launched, they're going to have that, that baseline. They're going to have those informations ready. And I think, I believe that in a very short future, any projects that want to come out, they will have six months of their per se roadmap ready. And then they will make, they will try to get whitelist and launch their project. Because you, it's just like if you, if you look at Amazon as a good example, they know their stock price two years in advance. They know what their stock price is going to be according to their revenue in for the next two years, right? So NFT projects are going to be like this, right? Right now we have all these small people who are don't have a lot of money, of course, because if they did, then they wouldn't need you know your money or my money. They could mm -hmm. just create it, right? Um, but you can have people like Moonbirds, I think, is a great example because they already have a lot of Web2 backing and VCs. They already have that all that funding. So they can mm -hmm. do things that most NFT projects cannot do. And I, I think that is going to be the kill, kill shot for a lot of projects in, in Web3. I hope I answered your question. No, that was, that was a very good answer because, you know, Web2, Web3, it's essentially it's the same thing. It's the internet. You know what I mean? It's just the way I, in my head, categorize it is, you know, this is just me speaking on this isn't, you know, I haven't researched this, but to me, to have a brand or a company, you need three things. You need content, you need commerce, and then you need community. So there was three things. So web one, in my opinion, was email. You know, yeah. what was that? That was about selling people stuff. Like go to my website, click this. That was yeah. commerce based. Yeah. Web two became about content. Bring in Gary V. Suddenly you got to be on Facebook. You got to be on MySpace. You need to be on YouTube you know, and you're doing the same thing. You're still selling stuff, but now you added a second layer to it where it's content driven. That's where social media started popping up. 
Web3, and it's, but it's not different. It's still on the internet. Web3 is just the final iteration of that. And the thing about Web3 to me is it's that third piece. I'm not flipping the camera off, but it's number three, you know, that community. It leads yeah. with community. Web3 has led with community. It's no different than Web1 or Web2. It's just taking the primary P is changing the order of things of how you do them. Um, so I don't think that, you know, I think when we talk about web two, web three, sometimes people segregate them. They shouldn't really be segregated as much as they should just be filters of the exact same picture. If that makes sense. Um, and I love what you said there about, you know, if you want to make it in web three, you're obviously going to have to commune with web two, uh, because that's where everyone on web three is coming from. I mean, I'm on the internet. Oh, look, NFT click. Oh, okay. Now I'm in web three. Suddenly I've clicked on open and I'm in web three. Yeah. I was on Google. I was in web two. Click OpenSea, now I'm in Web3. It's not yeah. different, but it's different. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that is something a lot of people kind of struggle with. Like, we're not really talking about different things. We're talking about kind of social constructs of the exact same thing yeah. as time has moved along. So um, Web3 is about the ownership. It's about the community first. And it's, it's about art. One last thing I will say about uh, founders. There was this huge thing that happened with Azuki where people yeah. found out the founder had quote unquote rugged, which is a term which essentially is when you quit a project or you just are done with a project, it dies. It just becomes a rug. Uh, the founder of Azuki was found out to have, quote unquote, rugged two or three projects before. And when that happened, a lot of people thought that would be the end of Azuki. And they did suffer, but their project is still doing very, very well. And I think that that is an indicator of something you said about transparency. The truth came out and when we have the truth, we can work with that. We can we can fix it. We can acknowledge it. We can work around it. We can all process it and we can build off of that. And yeah. the community of Azuki has really they've they've risen up, you know, without him. They don't need this guy anymore. Or I, I'm not exactly sure what his connection with the project is anymore. But the project didn't die when the bad news came out, you know. Um, the transparency came out. It adjusted the price of the project. Yeah, that definitely happened. But that wasn't the end. So I think there's something to be said. That, and, and now I feel like Azuki stronger than ever. I know you saw a lot of the tweets about NFT NYC. They had the most positive stuff that I saw about their events of anybody on Twitter or somebody who was not there. Um, they had a lot of positivity around them. I think that that wouldn't have been possible. And I think in some ways that they brought the project got stronger because of the truth whether the truth was ugly or not didn't matter the truth helped that project so i think you know azuki i think is still going to make it long term there for a little while for about 48 hours it was kind of scary but again that was because there was this unknown element is he a bad guy did he rug these projects da, 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 da. but when everything was laid out there people were like okay i can make a, an informed decision on what i'm going to do am i a builder am i a flipper am i an investor you know, what I mean, you have to have all the information to make a an informed decision. So I think it's important for founders to be transparent with your customers. You can be doing all kinds of stuff on the back end, quote unquote. That's great. Tell somebody what it is and don't just tell somebody. Tell everybody. You know, if you have 5000 holders, there's no reason that 4999 of them don't get to hear information. And one of them does. That's really weird to me personally. Um, and I'm in some projects that were like certain people have privileges. And I'm like, I pay the same for mine. And I bought it first. Nobody cared what I had to say. Um, yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on past that. Protecting the art. I think that's something about Web3 that where it's community based, where 
a lot of guys that are coming in web from web two with the VC funding, everything's big. Everything is huge. You know what I mean, it's massive. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have 3000 people that have already committed to you. You know what I mean? Like there's, I don't understand why we're trying to get our products and bit brands out in front of millions of people. You know, that'll happen if the product is good, if the project works, but if you can't make your project work with the people who found it and started investing in it, I don't really know how it's going to work when you scale up. And I don't know why that has seemed to be the focus of everybody trying to scale up so fast. You know, when you already have a customer base, a consumer base, a builder base, um, why would you disengage from those people to go look for for new people? Um, so bringing it back to the art idea. One of the things I think in NFTs, you know, we, we were in a space the other night with Ryder Rips and Dame Dash. And Dame was talking about Web3, when he came into it, was a beautiful thing because it was a year ago, it was all art based. You come in, you would make art, you would put it on a, you know, on a contract and you could make money as an artist as from owning selling and royalties off of that and he said he said as soon as he saw that happening he knew that he had to get involved because he knew people from web 2 people that he knew you know and has been in these rooms before he said they're going to come in and try to create the systems like they have in web 2 where they start making the majority of the money and it's no longer about the creators or the communities um when it comes to the the artistic expression of of web 3 what are your kind of thoughts on, you know, art as in like a smaller segment of the, the market where, you know, you have some of these small artists, like I guess Beeple is a guy that a lot of people like, or there's a few others, or are you more, what am I trying to say here exactly? What, what are your thoughts on, do you think this is really about the art? Do you think the art is going to be something that is protected? And what is that going to look like as we go forward? Because we're, you know, there's obviously some ip stuff going on right now people aren't really sure you know because you buy the token and the token reflects back to an image are you buying the image can you own that image is that even possible no. you know and what does that mean for the artist you know now what does that mean if somebody changes that metadata what happens to that guy who it was supposed to be about so protecting the art and the artist in the space right now seems to be something that I'm interested in. I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a social activist type of person. I think I'm starting to realize more and more that I'm probably more of an artist than I probably ever realized um, just from a mentality standpoint. But what are your thoughts on protecting the art, the IP, and then the, the, sm the little guys in this space, the guys out here trying to, to make it, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that as this space continues to be infiltrated by ex Silicon Valley, you know, retired VC guys. Um, again, it goes back to what you said. I think it's the truth and transparency, right? Because there's a lot of promises by projects that you own the IP rights um, and you can do whatever you want with it, and that's a total lie. Um, we can clearly see this in the space that you cannot, because if it was Disney and all these other companies would jump in already and do this already, right? Um, so I don't think that's the case. I think the transparency part is really important. Protecting the art is going to be really, really difficult because you don't really know what you own right now. We, we don't really know what we own. The artist that actually puts the art out can use that art to kind of like share the royalties of their income with their, with their investors or the people that believed in them and give them like the music industry, right? Like instead of going to a record label 
and signing it, you know, like Mick Mill, like with Rick Ross, right? He signed a contract at 19 years old. He's still stuck in it. He can't get out, right? That's the whole problem with him. But with like people with Web3, you have a chance of coming. Hey, listen, like, you know, Ross, uh, you know, I don't know if you know Ross. Are you? I, love, I know. I love Rick Ross. Yeah, I love, love Mick Mill too. Yeah, I'm talking about Ross, the, the, the other rapper, like he's an independent artist, R-U-S-S. Um, oh, Russ, Russ. Yeah. So he's like, he's an independent artist. So if he comes out and he wants to like put out an album, he can use the community, right? To say, hey, listen, or Brandon, like the artist that we know, can come and say, hey, listen, I want to launch an album. I need money to finish my album. Instead of going in and getting the advance per se from the record label, he uses people like us who are his fans, sell his NFTs, and then shares back part of that loyalty with us as per se a profit so both is win-win the, the artist makes more the artist has actually full control over its 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 its, its uh, art whether it's music whether it's art whatever like that so no one else can take that from him and you actually become the owner of that project like if i own an art i actually own it right it's like the good thing about nft is that you own it like every single asset that you have it's not in a bank it's not a safe deposit box you don't have to go through middleman. You don't have to get permission. Everything that is an asset to you, you own. That is the great thing about Web3 that most people, I think, are missing. That you actually own your assets. You can sell whenever you want. You don't have to ask anyone's permission. You know, it's all that stuff. That's the great thing about space. The, the protecting the art part is, I think, is more kind of like, okay, I give you this art and you can go and say, make an iced tea out of it, right? I go buy an NFT. I own the IP rights to this and I create this brand and I put this token that I bought, this NFT, and I put a label on here and I start marketing this. The only promise that we have is the founders of the project will not ask for a cease and desist and say, hey, we'll sue you because you're using our image, right? But it doesn't stop someone else. If I go and make this a popular brand, it doesn't stop you from coming and doing the same thing even with my NFT maybe a little bit of difference in design or color patterns or whatever mm -hmm. and copy my style and do it. There's nothing that I can do. There's no laws. There's, there's nothing in this space right now that can actually protect anyone to be honest. I think it's just too new to answer that question. And I think time will tell us because I think an example would be the rider and boarding. I think that that case, um, which, you know, the lawsuit that's happening, I think that's going to be huge for this space because the whole point of Ryder is not racism. He brought the whole idea up to bring attention to the topic, bring attention to the subject, because that's something that people are sensitive on right now, especially in this space. So mm -hmm. he's using that method to kind of mimic and make fun of Board Ape that you can't really sue me because there's no IP rights in NFT space. So I think that is the thing that most people don't understand about that case. They think it's about racism and the Nazis. It has nothing to do with that. Like, even if it does, who cares? Don't buy it. Like, you know what I'm saying? How is, how, how, like, I, had a, I saw a tweet from a very verified um, person. I don't want to say the name. He said, um, does Boarding Yacht Club cares how many black people own their NFTs? How is Board Ape can decide who buys it and who doesn't buy it? If they're black, white, Mexican, mm -hmm. what does that have to do with anything? Board Ape can nothing to do about that, right? But the racism part about Ryder, which I think is as it, as it, they, they call him trolls or whatever name they want to give him, 
He's a genius because he's using something that people are sensitive in to bring attention to something that is totally a different topic, which is IP rights. And that's mm-hmm. something that every single founder is telling people in the space that you own the IP rights and they're blatantly lying. Like no one owns 100% of your IP rights because there's no laws about that. Again, this is yeah. my no, and that's your opinion. I'm of similar opinion. I've seen guys be like, well, I've, I've licensed out my IP. I'm like, okay, one or two usage cases does not mean that that's what it is. You know what I mean? Um, for every one person that's licensed their IP, there are, you know, 4,000 people in your project that haven't and can't and won't, you know? So what does it really mean um, as a part of your sales pitch? Um so protecting the art, it sounds like essentially it's going to be tough. Um, I know I kind of poorly framed that when I brought it up, but I thought it was worth talking about. And I think that you you made some good points. And the reality is if you don't own the contract yourself, if you don't deploy it yourself, you really don't, you know, you're not going to be able to control your art. I can change the contract anytime. Yeah. Like- so the, that's the thing. It's if you want to be an artist in this space, I would I would recommend that you don't necessarily contract out to do stuff for somebody else yeah again i'm this is just my opinion i think the best way to protect your art personally as music audio video whatever it is a picture you just need this is an opportunity to have total autonomous ownership and control take it don't do the web two thing where you sell your time and your efforts and your energy to somebody else okay that's not what you want to be doing right now in my opinion you want to be challenging you want to be pushing forward you want to take this opportunity to fall down over and over and over again until you get that right project um whatever it may be and learn along the way all right next thing we're going to talk about and we're 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 wrapping it up soon ladies and gents we know this is a this is a good conversation we're hitting a lot of topics but i mean the nft space is it's very broad you know it's like going into space you can go up down left right diagonal whatever there's something there you know so we can talk about anything um Onboarding versus retention. I know that was something we talked a little bit about before we got on the space. Um, a lot of people, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, knowing when to be worried about bringing new people into your project versus satisfying, rewarding, um, ensuring that the people who are there and have been adding equity to your project are also having enough equity given back to them to stay? Yeah, I think I wrote a thread on that. I don't know if you can pull it up. Um, yeah, I, wrote, I wrote a thread about that. And I think if you also, um, a very uh, smart, intelligent person, FinTech Junkie also wrote a thread about that. And he kind of made a similarities to Ninja Warriors. Um, the I don't know if you read that thread or not. I did, I did. I'll yeah, so if you pull both of the tweets up, I think you would kind of explain to the audience what we mean by this. But the, the main thing is like, when someone, when you are actually starting a project and in NFT, you need community spaces, you need community members because really the only outlet we have to kind of echo um, about the project is through spaces and Twitter, right? Like I don't, I don't go on talk about NFTs on Instagram or Facebook, right? My whole time I'm t- spending time where? On Twitter, right? So Twitter is like my only space that I can really <clears throat> talk about even whether it's retention, whether it's onboarding. So with that being said, I think the most important thing about any business is retention. Onboarding will happen gradually. 
And it, it will happen through word of mouth. It will happen through trust. It will happen through uh, founders delivering on their promises, right? Or on the deliver over promise kind of mentality, right? Don't say anything like, you know, and then drop stuff that people are just, I think a great example would be Kilobits, right? Kilobits is a small project, but if you notice, the founders haven't really asked community for anything, but they keep them engaged every two or three days. They put something in there, where they're heading, where they're heading. They put a little drama, little lore, little art, little free gift here, little free death there. So I think that is really, really important that retention is the most important thing in business is retention. Onboarding will happen over time. You need to set up the foundation. And the foundation is that retention. So once you have onboarded people, you have to keep them engaged. You have to keep them happy. You have to keep them wanting to come to your on Twitter, share, like, retweet, because that's how the algorithm of Twitter works. And that's how you onboard people. Like anyone that wants to come to NFT, they're not going to Facebook. They're not going to Instagram. They're going to Twitter. So when you start getting people with big followers to tweet out, verified people and famous people talk about that. I think that already starts onboarding people because it brings eyes to the project. So I think onboarding should be, it's important maybe in the beginning, um, but after that, it should be more about retention and onboarding will just happen in a matter of time, depending on the delivery of the um, founders promises or, you know, and the community members word of mouth kind of thing and spreading the news on Twitter. Yeah. Retention, I, I think, you know, like you said, is it's I think it's more important than onboarding because, I mean, when you originally if you mint out, you've already onboarded everyone. You know, what I mean, like you've onboarded a community. They exist. Now, how do you get those people to not flip out when it doubles or triples? That's the question. And to me, that's what, you know, like you said, should be the most important because. I look at us as consumers, you know what I mean? Like I'm a consumer, I'm not necessarily an investor. Like, you know, I look at it like buying a house, you know, it's, it's hopefully it's an appreciating asset, you know, I bought it and maybe someday I'll sell it. Um, keeping people to stay in your project, you know, there's, there's the emotional versus logical. It's very logical sometimes to exit a project and people will not do that because they're emotionally tied to a project. Yeah. Um, how do you build people's, how do you build uh, loyalty um, and for that retention? And, you know, there's, there's different ways you can do that. One is, you know, you be engaged with your, your consumers and your audience. That's definitely probably the top one. Uh, but two is moment. You know, we talked about this earlier is momentum. If a project is going up, you know, it's not going to happen forever. Um, but you definitely want to make sure that your momentum on a long enough scale is positive. Because momentum is everything. I mean, that's if you want to talk about human nature and emotions, people follow movements and momentum. I don't know. I think Andy Frisella is who I heard say that once. Um, and that's interesting because it's, you know, you, you have the, the movements, social movements. I'm buying this project because it's going to help rhinos with the mecha rhinos. You know what I mean? That yeah. was a that was a sell. That was a reason to buy this because you're doing something right. It's a movement for a positive uh, trajectory of something. All right. So certain people bought it for that reason. Other people bought it for the momentum. Oh, wow. Four sales in a minute. Five sales in a minute. Human nature says, I want to be on that train going up. You know, what I mean? it's momentum. Um, when momentum goes away, though, and it's just simple physics. And I said this the other day. An object in motion is more likely to remain in motion 
than an object at rest, period. I mean, this isn't complicated. When momentum dies, like it can slow down, that's fine. But when it stops, you can't jumpstart your project back at Mint and get all that emotion coming back again. Um, so it's very important to me if you want to have retention to to make keep the momentum going. Keep the moment. That's your number to me. That's your should be your number one priority, especially if it's going well. That's what's called the lore, right? That's why, like, projects bring the lore aspect to keep people engaged, you know, whether it's comic books, whether it's teasers and stuff. But there's one thing that is so important is that loyalty has expiration. Yep. Loyalty yep. has it. So if you don't, like, as a founder of a project, you don't understand that people's, like, attention span normally. Do you ever watch TED Talk? Yeah. I was you watching TED Talk back you notice, that each, you notice that each of them is like 18, 19 minutes? Yeah. Because of attention span, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you look at that, it's the same kind of fundamental things. We're human beings. We can, it, it's so easy to analyze these things. If you know these facts, you can use them in a good way to keep your retention on and keep the momentum going to do the same thing using data using lore using excitement fomo you know all that stuff whatever terminology you want to use you have to be able to kind of divide whatever you want to do in six months and actually bring it in snippets like every week two things one thing one like you have to bring that because nft is such a fast fast space there's projects dropping every other like every second like if projects are dropped you're competing against a market that is endless. I can get a, I can drop a project tomorrow. You know, it's just insane. So you have to understand how to retain customers. I will jump in here and say, you know, the power of the one individual person should not be understated. Um, look at Ryder Rips right now. He's one singular human being and everyone in NFTs knows who he is. He hadn't even made his own NFT. You know what I mean? And he's fighting the good fight. If there's a person in your project and they get a little disgruntled, okay, you can let that fly and say, you know what? We're letting the paper hands exit. We're letting the, you know, well, he wasn't good for the project. That's fine. And you can believe that. But if that happens to a second, a third, a fourth person, that's not good for your project as far because that's proving that your retention is going away i will say you know i'm in a project i won't name the project's name but i'm in a project that i advocated for heavily two months ago i bought a ton of their nfts i liked the movement i like the momentum of it i like the ethos of the project they were bought by a new founder the new founder was not a good person how did i know that i was in dms and i saw group chats of him saying things about key members of our community when they left suddenly they were drug addicts suddenly they were trying to steal information all this stuff and i'm like why are we why are you why are you doing this this doesn't make any sense you know this these are some of the these people are some of the best people in your community they left and how are you going to do you're going to try to discredit them that to me things like that it's like if one of your better people in your community leaves you should be worried about your critics a little more than just ignore them especially when you have a Huh? As a founder, I would call him. Like, if you, if your goal is to make a project successful, you know, it, it's just like you know, you get customer reviews, right? Everything you buy, they want you to review. Why? 
because if you leave a good review, that will bring more customers. Yep. Yep. And what I was, and just to close that out is I was in this project when two or three people were really moving this project forward, myself included. And when this guy left, when he got put on blast and when I started slowing down, all the talk and all the positivity and all the screenshots of all the good stuff going on and all the fake utility and all the PFPs, your price is going down. Yeah. And your sales, they're bot sales. We can see that. It doesn't take a genius to see that. You know what I mean? It's it's and you and it's like you can pinpoint it to those individuals in those decisions. I think a lot of people in this space think they're a little too big to fail because they've got a bag or they've got money. But the reality is, too, is what does a founder really owe them? Now, and I'll circle back to that vagabond space or the vagabond space. One of the things that he said in that space when people were like, you rugged funks. He said this and I and that stopped me in my tracks. He said he said I minted the project out. He's like, that was our roadmap. He's like, I provided them the minting experience. That was it. He said, that was it. He's like, I didn't promise them anything but that. He's like, I didn't rug them. He said, they minted. They had a good time. I was like, damn, like he ain't wrong. Like he was there through the mint. He got it going. He sold his product. He didn't owe them anything else. And I was like, I could justify that as a, as a Machiavellian, from a Machiavellian point of view, I did my part. You know what I mean? And in black and white, he really did. You know, so it's it's kind of scary because founders can walk away or not walk away or slow down. And we can't really say, well, you didn't do what you said you'd do, because a lot of them don't say that they're doing anything. Yeah. They're just here. They're just participating. We're making something happen. Yeah. Um, it's it, it can be a little bit daunting to know what's what's up, what's what's right, what's wrong, what's what's down and where you can really say to somebody, no. That's not right, you know, because what is right or wrong in this space? Is it the minting experience? Is it the community building? Is it delivering a T-shirt? Oh, we delivered the T-shirt. Roadmap's over. What happens when the roadmap's complete? I'm in a couple of projects right now where the roadmap's been done completely for months. There's no new roadmap. We're still doing stuff, quote unquote, but I don't really know what's happening. I don't know. I don't know what the next checkpoint is because no one's given me a map. It says this is where we're going next because we've already got where we're supposed to be. Yeah. And I think that that's something that communities would do well to begin to pressure their founders and quote unquote teams uh, to do yeah, is to is to say when the like, one roadmap's great, like a roadmap, but you have to like where what, what happens when that's done? You know, is that when that's done? Do you are you out? Like, have you done your job? Is that the end of your business plan? You know, because, you know, as a business person, you know, in your mind, you know, you think a business just runs and runs and runs in NFTs. Do they run for six months and that's it? Like, I don't I don't know. And I, I don't think we know either. Honestly, you know, when do the products, when do the services, when are the perks enough to really say this is a success or failure? Nobody really knows, unfortunately, and because nobody wants to write anything down in black and white besides what they actually have to. And that gets a little scary to me. We're, we're, I'm in a project. We are in a project. Recently, I heard some talk about uh, the community building a roadmap. Yeah. I want to bang my head off a wall. Yeah. That's not our job. And not my job to tell you, founder, what to do. Okay. I hope to God you are doing something. I hope you know what that is. Um, but the idea that the, the community would build some sort of roadmap was very 
strange to me. Um, but I, I think that additional roadmaps, four-step roadmaps, great. What We got to step four. What's step five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Like, what's next? And I think we need to start as an overall NFT space. If you're in a project and nothing's really happening, I think it's a fair question to say, what's next? And I think that an answer of be patient and you'll see. I don't think that I don't think that I think you can say that a couple of times, but I don't think that that is fair to your people. And I don't think that's good business. I'm not a business giant, but I'm a consumer. I know I don't want to buy stuff from people that say stuff like that personally. So I can't imagine many other people are like, oh, wow, that sounds like a great pitch. Just wait. You know what I'm saying? Like, you'll find out later. Oh, boy, I can't, you know, like, that's not a pitch I want to be buying into. So I think I think we as as an NFT space overall, we need to ask ourselves what what we're really buying and investing in. And we have to start being okay with the idea that we probably may have made some bad decisions. For all the for all the endorphins that got dumped on our brains, for all the good relationships we may have made in certain projects, the project is not everything. The NFT, the PFP, the leadership of that project, you could take that entire community, just drop them in somewhere else. You know what I mean? It could happen. It's happening. It is happening. So what makes your NFT project product? What makes it something people are going to want to stay in, want to join? Um, and how do you how do you ensure that that continues to go the right way? And again, as individuals, we have to ask ourselves, is this where I want to put my money? Maybe it's a project you're sketched out about. Yeah, buy one. You don't need to buy 10. You don't need to be a whale. No one, you, no one needs to be a whale. You don't have to do that. You know, and, and be okay leaving projects too. You know, one of the things that I've done too long is, I've diamond hand certain things to zero against my better judgment. And I'm sure we all have, you know, and there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with exiting a project in my mind, especially if you have done it the right way. Um, the right way being honestly, I'm not going to say positively. Let me say honestly. Yeah. Um, Cause I, you know, I tweeted this out the other day. Someone buys into a project and it's, they scream it from the rooftops. They're retweeted a million times, you know, this project's so good, blah, blah. But then when they leave a project, it's 3.30 in the morning on a Wednesday and nobody knows about it. You know what I mean? And then suddenly you're just like, where'd so-and-so go? They're gone. I want to know why you left as much as I want to know why you joined personally. Why can't you tell that information? And I think that information needs to be not looked at as FUD, but what it is, information. You know what I mean? Opinion information commentary on what you've seen observed felt within a project and i think that the i think we need to begin to be more critical of ourselves of our leaders of our projects so um we hit all the bullet points in under an hour i'm impressed with both of us honestly thank you so much for the time yeah yeah this is awesome i appreciate you coming on it was a good conversation again uh, um you know the space is I wouldn't say that we're like leaders in the space by any means, but we're, we're here doing stuff. And we, I think we have valid thoughts and opinions. Maybe some of them were a little off base and that's fine. I would love to hear comments, reactions from anybody um, on this. Um, I would love for you to come back on the show with me in the future, because I, I mean, this is a really fun time. Um, 
like and subscribe if you're on the YouTube. If you're listening to us on the podcast feed, this used to be the Quirky Cast NFT podcast. That has changed now. Uh, the rebrand is going to be doxed, be a doxed show. People coming on, knowing who these people are. I think that's a very important piece of Web3 um, because that's transparency. Who are you? If I don't know who you are, how can I trust you? I that's, just, that's just where I, where I come from. If I don't know who and what you are, and if you're keeping that from me, why would I trust you? You know what yeah. I mean? Like what basis, what foundation of trust do we have? So cash fully doxed me, fully doxed. Uh, happy to be here and keep an ear out for more shows in the future as we go through this rebrand. And as we have this mini bull market, we're over a thousand for an Ethereum now. So we're all going to make it again. Yeah. Woo! Hallelujah. Happy Jesus. Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining us, Cash. I'm going to go ahead and, and end the show now. And everybody out there listening and did listen, I appreciate you. Thank you for that. And we will be back again soon, sooner than our, our last break. It won't be that long, I promise. Fantastic. You're All right. Take her easy. Take care. Bye-bye.